Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Doing exercise for 40 minutes, time for me, time with no distractions, time where you sweat and you push your body and you're doing something which is completely unrelated to work. I love and love it and I desperately try and do it every day but not necessarily intense every day even just like a 20 minute walk or something where I'm moving my body and I'm not attached to technology that's the dream <laughs> welcome to the doctor's kitchen podcast the show about food lifestyle medicine and how to improve your health today I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Entrepreneurship has a real glamour to it these days with images of global startups such as Tesla, Lyft, Gymshark, Monzo and more. But what is startup life really like and is it as desirable as people make it out to be? Today, I'm thrilled to welcome along two good friends of mine to the show, Zana Van Dyke and Natalie Glaze. These entrepreneurial, passionate ocean lovers wanted to create a business which was a force for good, a business that aligns with their morals and actually serves the planet. To fulfill this, they co-founded Stay Wild Swim in 2018, an ethical and sustainable swimwear brand made from regenerated ocean plastic in the heart of London. And since its launch, it's quickly become a leader in the sustainable fashion industry with a radically transparent supply chain, showing that you can consciously produce clothing without compromising style and quality. I personally know just how much effort goes into sourcing the raw materials, the fulfillment process, the seasonless slow fashion approach. And it's incredible to have seen it grow. It's been featured in Vogue, showcased at London Fashion Week, Stockton Selfridges and approved by Anna Wintour, someone who I didn't actually know who they were, I must admit, until uh, I had to look her up. But Stay Wild Swim has seen huge success in a short period of time and it's set to continue shaking up the fashion world. But what are the costs of starting up such an incredibly successful company on the outset of it? Beyond the glamour, 
and the success. I wanted to know what the day-to-day is like, the stresses, the sacrifice, and how do these young entrepreneurial women stay grounded? What is their secret? So in today, we spend a long time talking about the start of their journey, their history, what, how they both connected and how they grew the concept of what became Stay Wild, their rapid journey to success thus far and the features across all the magazines that I mentioned, including the biggest social media account in the world, what stresses they've accounted on their short journey and what their coping mechanisms are that they've learned along the way. And the reason why I ask this on this particular show is because I think there are a lot of transferable coping mechanisms that yourself as a listener and myself can actually learn from, regardless of whether you're interested in startup or not. There are a lot of things that people have to go through during the process of starting your own business, and it can be exceptionally stressful. We also talk about Zana's personal illness that led her to understand the value of stopping and taking time for yourself. And we also end up with advice that both Natalie and Zana have for listeners to cope with anxiety and stress regardless of whether you're starting up something as a business or just trying to deal with the current time we live in. I think it's really important to contextualize the information that we share on the podcast with real life stories. And I really hope you enjoy listening to this inspiring one and you find it motivating and useful. And the struggles and uncertainty of startup, I think, is a particularly interesting lens to look at lifestyle medicine particularly during a pandemic. Um, I'll summarize the some of the best bits at the end, best bits of advice that I have, including some top tips and books that I find exceptionally useful during this time. So without further ado, the first 45 minutes is really about their journey and how they started Stay Wild. And then we get into a bit about their lifestyle and how they cope with the daily stresses of a business. I hope you enjoy it. Zana, Natalie, thank you so much for coming in. I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us. We're very excited. Yeah. So excited. Yeah. I'm <laughs> glad. a long time listener, mate. Long time listener. So I, I know. Yeah. You told me, which is, which is great. And it's great to have you, Zan, particularly on the pod, because we have our sort of entrepreneurial chats every month or so. And I've been wanting to have you both in because I think this aspect of entrepreneurship and you know the trials and everything that you see on the gram is not really a version of what is reality um and so i I think the aspect that i want to focus on with health and wellness is how you guys cope given that you have built a business over the last couple of years and now going into what we've just been through over the last six months and probably will go to but before we get into that why don't you introduce yourselves to the audience and uh, we can get going from there so I'm Zana, 28, keep thinking I'm 27, but I'm not. <laughs> I am a blogger, <laughs> content creator, and the co-founder of Stay Wild Swim. I feel like I should start with my age now. <laughs> like, that's what we do. <laughs> my name is Natalie Glaze. I'm 28. Yeah. Lovely age, that. The older one of the you two You make of me us. feel really old. I'm, 30, I'm 35, just, just to put it out there. But you don't look a day over 25. <laughs> <laughs> I am the co-founder of Stay Wild, working alongside Zana. Um, 
always feels a bit weird calling myself an entrepreneur, but I'm a I'm an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, I kind of talk about my life online. So kind of do the blogging side of things, which is how me and Zana met, um, talking about sustainability, uh, business and about to launch a new business as well, sustainable jewelry business. So yeah, fingers in many pies, but sustainable swimwear is what brought me and Zana together. And yeah. that's why we're here today. That's immense. I, let's start off with that, actually, because the word entrepreneur, I think, now has like quite a cool edge to it. It's quite kind of the hip thing to do. Like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. But what do you think about when someone calls you an entrepreneur? Like you said, you're, you're like, you know, feeling a bit embarrassed to call yourself an entrepreneur. What does that term actually mean to, to you guys? I think it's a funny one because I think we're all brought up to not kind of not feel like you're bragging about what you do and not feeling like, I don't know, there's certain words which have certain connotations. And although me and Zana are entrepreneurs, we're business women, we're business owners and very proud of that. It is that thing of you, you tend to, and I do it a lot, like talk down what you do. And I feel like I have to learn to <laughs> embrace like success and doing well, like doing, a, running a business and running it. And I'm just like, I'm an entrepreneur, but I think it's weird because I had this conversation the other day how entrepreneurship has this very glamorous kind of um, aspiration. Lots of people want to be an entrepreneur, but when I think of being an entrepreneur, I think of just like slog, hard work, graft, and actually the less glamorous side of it. So I think there is this kind of glamorization of people wanting to be labeled an entrepreneur, but actually the hard work and the graft behind it it's not actually that glamorous. When people say, I want to be an entrepreneur, run a business, I'm like, have you thought about this? Are you yeah. sure? <laughs> Do you know what comes with this? <laughs> I also think it's just very British to be self-deprecating. And I think there's also an element, well, first for me, I don't know about you, Nat, of, of imposter syndrome, where I don't think I'm worthy of the title of entrepreneur because I don't, I feel like that's like a very a very high standard to set yourself. And I'm like, I don't think I'm an entrepreneur. I'm just somebody who does this thing and has some swimwear and has a great time and runs these businesses. But I think entrepreneur, yeah, I, I have imposter syndrome about that term. And I feel, and also self-deprecating, I feel um, I feel embarrassed or cringy or brag, like I'm bragging or being arrogant to call myself an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm just somebody having given it my best shot. Yeah. Giving business my best shot. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's really, <laughs> it's strange that, isn't it, that, now, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's like a British thing. Like we're quite self-deprecating, trying, you know, put ourselves uh, down a bit. But it's a weird thing how the term entrepreneur has, um, has almost evolved over the last few decades. Because I, I was born in 1985. Uh, and uh, when I was growing up, my kind of like idea of an entrepreneur was someone who was selling door to door or was, you know, something that my, my dad did, you know, he started with his own business and, you know, it was just on the corner. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think of with entrepreneur. But now it's got that ear of like, you know, you're a billionaire or you're Elon Musk, or, you know, you're doing something in tech or something that scales across the globe. Whereas in reality, it is that graft, that small business mindset and just creating, um, uh, an atmosphere or cre creating a business that you can use to support your own families and feed your own, you know, your children, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Word. So, so you guys met through the whole blogosphere stuff. T talk me through that. So we met through the gram. Actually, I don't. I think we probably met some sort of 
overhyped fitness event in 2015 <laughs> with green juices and yoga. I feel like that was probably the vibe, wasn't it? Nat? That was our vibe. And then it was totally our vibe. And then we went on like a detox Ibiza retreat together. We got put in this tiny room. And I think that was just when we realized, all right, we're going to be mates now because we're like, <laughs> we didn't sharing, have a choice. <laughs> we didn't have a choice. We shared this tiny space together. This was literally 2015. This was like five years ago. Um, and then we both kind of went off in our separate directions in the blogosphere. So we first connected talking about fitness and green juice and all that sort of stuff that was very trendy back in the clean eating days. And then we went off in our different directions. We both ended up of our own accord talking about sustainability online. And then Nat saw me do a tweet. I had a little cheeky tweet. This is in probably... 2017 saying oh imagine if we could make something out of ocean plastic because I had just been educating myself about ocean plastic I'd started doing beach cleans I was really trying to use my platform to raise awareness of this issue and then I did this tweet saying I wonder if we could make something out of ocean plastic and then Nat just slid <laughs> into my DMs like a slippery little dolphin and she said oh let's go for some brunch avocado toast still basic and <laughs> She literally rocked up with like a PDF. No way. Yeah. You came up with like yeah. a, what, a business plan or? Well, a bit of backstory to the sliding <laughs> of the DMs. Um, so obviously, like Zana said, I'd been learning about sustainability and the ocean plastic and the kind of devastating effects of that. And it was so interesting that we'd both kind of taken that turn in our career and what we were passionate about. And then I... Um, I can't actually remember the, when it was, but I heard about ocean plastic being used in material. And then I remember I was away with a friend and I just said, I wonder if you could turn that into swimwear. That's such a lovely story. I wonder if you could take it out of the ocean and turn it into pieces, which are then worn into the ocean. And then I started to do a bit of research, started to gather information. I created a huge Excel did a bit of back research and then I just thought this is a beast like this is a really cool idea but I don't think I have enough time I don't know enough I've got enough resources but I had quite a lot of research and then it was like two months later I saw Zana's tweet and I just thought I've got lots of research I've got loads I've done quite a lot of like legwork here I wonder whether one it'd be interesting for her if she's going to go ahead but then it like reignited that interest of but that was a really cool idea. Maybe I should just see if she'd be interested in doing it together because we've clearly got a similar ethos and we knew each other. I knew how hardworking she was. I thought, you know what? Actually, she'd be a really great business partner. <laughs> so then I thought, why not make a business plan like PDF and basically pitch it to her, but disguise it under avocado toast. <laughs> so I basically bribed her. And I was like, we should go for brunch. We haven't seen each other in ages. Let's catch up. Yeah. And then I just got out my laptop at the end. I was like, so... There's a really cool business idea here. And I think that you'll really love it. And, you know, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts. And then we kind of started discussing and it was very basic what I'd put down. It was like a skeleton idea. And then it, it just kind of seemed to spark a conversation. And then it was a bit, it was very much like, it was never an official decision. Like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's go into business. It was more of a, that sounds cool. Should we do a bit more research? Actually, that's a really good idea. Maybe let's just start an Instagram. I don't know when we said we were going to go into business together, but somehow we ended up here. Yeah, there, a few was, years there was never later. a moment. There was never a moment where we both said like, okay, then this is the business. We both just went, let's just keep having meetings yeah. and like talking through our ideas. Yeah. Let's like, make, let's make a Google Drive. Let's pop our, our research in there. <laughs> let's make a spreadsheet. Yeah. Let's, let's make an Instagram account. Let's like just reserve the website domain. And then it just kind of kept going and kept going. And then <laughs> next thing you know, 
we were in a factory making sandals. <laughs> we were like, okay then, as soon as we have a swimwear business on our hands. It just, I feel like it just escalated. We had this kind of, it almost like took on a life of its own. Yeah. And suddenly we were like, okay, we own a swimwear business. Here we are. Yeah, definitely. Great decision. I mean, I that, that makes it sound very easy. We like to put that out there, we have zero background in fashion. Um, so the the big leg up that we had is that we're both social media content creators. So we knew we had a platform on which we could launch a business, which is something which so many people struggle with getting their product to an audience. We already had an audience there and an audience who engaged with the message of sustainability. So we were like, this is a really amazing opportunity. This business makes sense. And we have people who we think will actually like this product. Um, but then we had this massive gap in there <laughs> of experience in fashion. Um, so that was like a massive learning curve. How do you find a factory? How much material do you need? Where do you get stitching from? Oh my God, what about labels, packaging? How do you keep it carbon neutral? How do we get a web developer? Like every single element of it, we had never pretty much done before. So yeah. it was just a huge uphill learning curve. Every day I remember just messing each other. Like, oh my gosh, we haven't thought about this. Oh God. Hygiene liners. Hygiene liners. Hygiene what? Yeah, so basically you legally can't sell swimwear without a hygiene liner on, which is kind of the protective seal of at course, the bottom yeah. for people to be able to try on. We were like, we want to create a sustainable swimmer company, but they're all made from plastic. And yeah. this was, I feel like this was maybe a month before we were supposed to launch. And we just were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So we just got into a hole of Googling, researching, reaching out to loads of people and found this one company which could do it from tree pulp. So it's all like kind of um, compostable hygiene liners, found it. And it was like a hundred million times more expensive than any hygiene oh, liner out there. But we're like, we're gonna have to do it. Yeah. Because, and I just think it was stuff like that just kept popping up. And then yeah. we were just like, okay, right, let's just Google hard for like four or five days and just be in this little hole of research. But yeah, it was very much a, learning as we go making up as we go along our list of things to do we had like this big list and a spreadsheet of things you had to do before never, we got, any shorter. <laughs> it never got shorter because we'd tick a few things off and be like oh hygiene liners oh these tags oh hand tags mm, safety pins for those and then, <laughs> and then like it never ends <laughs> oh, so naive yeah. oh, but this is this is the reality of business when you're when you're doing it because it, it comes from an idea and it evolves and then you're like oh my god i haven't thought about all these different things but before we go into that, because this is fascinating, because I didn't know anything about this, even though we've been chatting for ages. But Natalie, do, do, you, do you have a background in entrepreneurship when you were growing up? Did you ever envisage having a business or, you know, fending for yourself? Um, I wouldn't, no, I definitely didn't have a background in business or entrepreneurship. I always saw myself working in media, did media at uni, went and worked in agency. So I had a bit of a background in marketing um, and I always knew visual side of things was very important to me. And then obviously created social media account, went down that side, which I suppose in a sense is running a business. Like you're running, well, you, it is running a business online. So it was, we kind of had learned that side of things, but I did always have this side of me that thought I'm gonna own a business one day. And I had loads of really random awful ideas. At uni, I was going to launch an activewear company and did all these drawings, had loads of samples delivered. Me and my friend were gonna do it. And then we were like, this is really hard work. Absolutely not. So I always was coming up. And then I wanted to launch a brunch cafe once. Okay. And then we like These found a location. Like legit Didn't ideas. we all though? I always yeah. wanted to launch a brunch cafe. I was like, yeah. it's gonna have like marble and wood, and it was gonna be so basic. <laughs> it was, honestly. And then I, and then someone was like, do you realize how hard work it is to run like a cafe? And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So I think I always had that kind of. I just don't think I'm a very good employee. 
I wasn't very good at being in like a nine to five job. So I was always looking for how can I create my own career? But I never thought swimwear because I didn't have any fashion or design background. Like I, you always just assume you see a fashion business and you assume that you have to go to a fashion uni or have some kind of background. So that never really was an option. I, I hear a lot of entrepreneurial journeys and I always think to myself, it's almost where opportunity meets passion. Mm. So the opportunity to do something was obviously with, with Zan and you have shared interests and, and that passion really comes through and that if you don't have that passion, you wouldn't be able to, you know, do the endless hours looking for that hygiene uh, piece of the government. Yeah, exactly. That is sustainable and is in line with your mission as well. So. It's, it's quite amazing. And, and Zan, did you have any entrepreneurial sort of thoughts when you were growing or maybe like in your family or? No, you know what? So, you know, Rupi, I studied to be a speech therapist. So I studied to be a speech language therapist. I was going to go into the NHS um, and I was going to specialize in stroke rehabilitation, hopefully work in a hospital. So I had kind of just seen myself working in, in that industry and following that path. And when the opportunity arose to do social media and to work for myself in that way I definitely thrived working for myself I think because I I hmm, a little bit of a workaholic and that kind of gave me gave me a place in which I could thrive and I I was work I think motivation is never ending when you're working for yourself on your own business and your own project and when you're working for somebody else sometimes it can be a more of a challenge to ignite that motivation to to benefit somebody else. And if it's something that you're passionate about and it's your business and ultimately the harder that you work, the more it's gonna succeed. I found that that was a situation in which I thrived. So then when this opportunity came up with Nat to work on our own business, I just thought to myself, like this is something which aligns with number one, working for myself, but number two, working on something that I'm really passionate about and turning something negative, ocean plastic into something positive and actually making it profitable in a business. So like a business which is profitable, but also supports people on the planet, which is very rare <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> so it kind of felt like a really unique opportunity, but I definitely don't have a background in entrepreneurship, but I have blagged my way through life and worked very hard. So <laughs> hopefully that's carried me well yeah, <laughs> up to this point. Definitely. I mean, for you in particular, you know, you had Zana Van Dyke, you have this this big social media following, you have brands clamoring at, you know, at your left, right, center. There's almost a path that is, I wouldn't, I don't want to say easier, but it's a little bit more sort of like, you know, it's in front of you. Whereas it sounds like to me, particularly from these, you know, short stories you've already heard this is an uphill struggle. So how did you make that conscious effort to concentrate a big portion of your time on something that you don't know whether is a given? I think a lot of that, and I'm going to be really honest here, was naivety. And I always say ignorance is bliss. And in those early days, I have to admit that we were quite ignorant. We, oh, we were ignorant. <laughs> we did not know what was coming. And we threw ourselves into this business, like all guns blazing, like this bit, like business. We're women. We can run this business. We've got this. Like, this is going to be easy. And then as we've said... It was a bit harder than we anticipated. And um, yeah, I think you're, you're very right. Like social media, there's this one path you can follow, which is the, the easier path. Like brand deals are a great income and producing social media content is incredible and it's a really beautiful creative release. Um, but I think for me, 
I do feel I do find a purpose in that but I think this business is the ultimate purpose and I like to think that what I'm doing with my platforms now with the Zana Van Dyke social media platform is helping to push Stay Wild as well. It's all interwoven together. Because I think Stay Wild is a business that's actually gonna have more impact than I personally am gonna have. Stay Wild is gonna pull more plastic out of the ocean and help change things in the fashion industry. Like the things that we've achieved with this business, the people that we've spoken to, the people that we've influenced with this, like all the stuff at London Fashion Week, which I'm sure we can talk about later. I'm just like, I couldn't have done that without Stay Wild. So I, I'm more than happy to, push on into this world, which is completely alien to me um, because it feels like, yeah, it has more of a purpose. <laughs> and that, that taught me through the timeline. So this infamous deck that you, uh, <laughs> that you sneakily showed, Sam, what, what, what year was that? Um, 17, wasn't it? Yeah, it must, well, it'd be about three years ago because we launched the business just under two. Yeah. So yeah, probably about three. And then I probably started that deck about the year before that. But I say deck. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't really. It was, it was just, like a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with like a few you know, pictures was and the, some stats. You know, the, the sort of highlight is to this, <laughs> yeah. you know, fire now. But um, so you're having these meetings, you're uh, building up this Google Doc where you're taking off checklists and all that kind of stuff. What, was there ever a point where you guys sat down and and had like a grand vision of what you wanted to to see, what you wanted to create, or has that come a, a lot later? I think we always had a purpose. Like when we, all the conversations we had at the beginning were we want to create something that's more than just swimwear. It's more than just a product. We wanted to have, we always say this, we wanted to have like a business with a bigger purpose than that. Not only, I think we always were very aligned from the beginning with pieces that had a purpose that used sustainable materials but more than just sustainability like we always knew we wanted our pieces to empower women we always had a very clear understanding that and this was both of us have always been on exactly the same page of showcasing a variety of women's bodies making sure that people felt good when they came to our page also we always knew that we wanted it to have like an education piece that like we've always had blogs resources directory posts of other businesses and that's all been very clear from the start and I think we the thing that's changed probably the most is we always knew what we wanted our why to be, our essence of our business. And we knew what we wanted to achieve and the feel of our business. But maybe our, I think as we've learned and as we've grown, our designs of our pieces are probably, when we first started, we created pieces, which me and Zana just wanted to wear to the beach. We were like, oh, that would look great on me and Zana. Like, let's just wear that. And then I think now as you get to know your audience, we've had to really learn how to look at things from more of a design perspective. Think what are the story behind these pieces? Like what do the colors tell? How will that fit on different bodies? How will that look on different women? What's our niche in the design world? Like what makes our pieces stand out when like, we're stocked in Selfridges, but when you go on to the shop floor, how can you recognize stay well? Those were questions which we probably hadn't asked ourselves, And that's been something that's really developed over the last two years. Like we've got such a clearer, if you look at our first pieces, they were very simple. Whereas now you can really recognize our pieces. Whereas I think before it was just like a simple black one piece, yeah. simple kind of coral one piece. So I think we've always had our why and our mission and that has never changed. We probably maybe it's evolved and we've added elements, but we've always had a very clear mission. But our, you know, we've definitely become better designers. <laughs> and I would say one thing that just came to my mind just then from, from the beginning is we always said, we were very aware that we were novices and this was a new business for us and we didn't know if it would succeed. And we were also very realistic that it might not succeed. And we just said, even if this fails, 
in the first year or two years, we just release something we're proud of mm. and then we can close it down and be happy with what we did. Yeah. And like, we literally said that from day yeah. one. We said, we will push this and we will try and grow this. But like fashion is really hard. The vast majority of new fashion brands fail. So we were just like, okay, we're just going to go into this, give it our all. But as long as we're proud of what we've created, we're yeah. happy. And <laughs> I think that's what we've done with every decision. Every decision we've made, we've always said, is this something we'll look back on and be really proud of? Even if it made us no money, even if it did close down it's every single decision that we've made throughout the business it's always been made thinking will we look back at this in a year's time and be like I'm really proud of what we've done at each step and I think we have achieved that yeah 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 I'm really proud of what we've done I mean I mean before we get into the story of the the start uh in 2018 um when you when you launched the business you found a web development just a few of those things that I've picked out here of, of the way you describe the business with purpose your why your story there almost could be elements of like a Simon Sinek uh, talk. D- did you have any sort of early influences of how you told the story of your brand and how you actually went through the sort of mechanism, the process of of describing that story? Or was it just something that, you know, you were just picking up along the way and then, and, and realized this is something you have to do? I think it came naturally because because it was our passion and the the business naturally has its own story. I think the nature of taking fishing nets from the ocean, transforming that into material and putting it on women's bodies as they can wear in the ocean. I feel like that naturally in itself come, comes with its own story. So for us, it just flowed naturally mm. as the business progressed. And I think one thing that we said right at the beginning is although maybe it is to detriment of our like we haven't got any background and we aren't business ladies or business people and we said let's talk about that like let's be open let's engage people from the beginning we always said we don't really know what the best choice is so let's ask our customers let's ask our instagram audience let's get their opinion and feedback and lots of people have always said was that a marketing technique but it was like it was purely we didn't really know the answer so we thought you know what, let's just see what they say because they're probably going to be buying it. And I think as we've grown, I probably, I have definitely like watched more business pod, like um, talks and listened to more podcasts and kind of have been like, okay, well, that's clearly our why. And kind of understanding what fitted where, but the actual journey of it has been very natural. And I think a lot of that has been, we were probably storytellers before we had our own platforms. We always told a story of kind of ourselves, our lives, what we were doing. And I think actually that really helped us with the business. So we looked at it from a storytelling perspective, getting our audience involved, getting them to help. We always say that they're our third team member. So it's like me, Zana, and then our audience, you probably know better than us. (laughs) (laughs) We're blagging it, guys. We'll be like, guys, help us. We don't know what we're doing. Like, can you help choose this? To be honest, I think, yeah, your experience, um, you know, in, in that sort of social media world that's evolved so much over the last five years has definitely helped you create this really trustworthy brand that people actually have a true connection with because they've seen it grow. I mean, I've heard it grow before it even started and seen it grow like incredibly. Um, and that transparency I think is really endearing. And I think more brands now are trying to adopt that method, almost like catching up with it. And we'll talk about competitors and all that kind of stuff a bit later, but so, so you've got a web developer, you, you got, you, how do you do the designs? Who, who did you, did you do that yourself or? So your, your mum yeah. sketched some bodies up and then, oh and God. then we like drew things on the bodies and that was that. Was I it? was telling this story the other day. <laughs> we actually went to the factory. We managed, we, I, I literally think we emailed about 200 factories and they were like, bring your designs log. 
brought along parchment paper, which we unrolled. We're like, these are the designs we want to create, like hand sketch, pencil drawings. I honestly think they laughed at us. We they needed were literally cads. like, <laughs> we need a digital drawing and it's called a CAD. Like, have you got CADs? And like, have you got, and I remember just being like, what's a CAD? <laughs> I was like, will these not do? And they were just like, how can I just say our first design when when they made the first sample, it looked like a borat thong. It was genuinely, no I'm like, I'm gonna cry. It's so funny. It was the like, it's it the was worst absolutely hilarious. We have these pictures of us in the factory on the first sampling day, and it's actually like wearing a borat thing oh up, your, up and over your shoulders, and the biggest wedgie, just completely unfunctional. You couldn't walk. That's what, that's what happens when you do hand drawn drawings <laughs> and take them to the factory oh. they were probably all laughing about us like in their meetings but like did you those girls who came in with their <laughs> rolls of parchment, parchment. Paper. parchment. <laughs> like what do they think they live in <laughs> so it was only then that the penny dropped that you actually had to create digital versions of the design oh, yeah. that you wanted oh, yeah. oh my god and you have to like we went back and forth on those first samples and yeah it was seriously hard work getting those done <laughs> from the borat thong through to through to a fully fledged one piece that actually if functioned the thing is, factory language is like a whole other language. Like the words they use, the technical, like conversations. We'd go in and they'd be they'd be asking us stuff, and we, me and Zana would be looking at each other like, I actually don't know what they've just said. Like it's it's a whole technical language we had to learn, and we were like googling stuff like, what does that term mean? And like the way that kind of fittings and samplings get it right. The the technical terms and the way like, it's not just a visual like that needs to be a little bit more to the right can we have a bit more coverage here can you move this up it has to be very specific and I think that that was I mean that was a journey and I definitely think that we've learned a lot of like kind of technical language and know a lot more about factory speak but honestly like they would say stuff and I'd literally be just completely blank like I'm sorry, can you explain that? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> I think fashion is much more technical than we anticipated. Even just like, if you want a material to sit a certain way, it's like, how is it stitched? How is the elastic stitched to the fabric? Yeah, and what's the all tension? These, yeah, what's the tension that's put through that? And you don't realize this mm -mm. until you're two years into a fashion business. So oh, yeah, I definitely say it's it's been a massive learning curve, but it all turned out. What, in the end? Do, do, do you still use this factory? Do, do, uh... Oh, we've moved twice. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, we've moved a few times. Um, the first, because we didn't really know what we were looking for. We knew we wanted it to be in London. We wanted it to be local. We wanted to support local community. We also wanted to be able to go in because we thought there's no, like, we don't know what we're doing. We want to be able to pop in and them send us like an email and go in and say, what did that actually mean? Like, yeah. can you show us? So we think we knew we wanted it to be London. We knew we wanted it to be ethical. We wanted to see the working conditions. We also wanted to go in, but we didn't really know what to ask for in terms of like, can you show us examples of previous work? Can you show us like, what machines do you use? This is all stuff we've had to learn. And as we've learned, we've realized, okay, we need more technical elements in terms of machinery. So let's look for a factory specifically in London that has that. So I think we've had to, as we've learned, we've know what we're looking for in a factory better. Yeah. So we're still in London, but we've yeah, moved because the first one wasn't very swimwear specific. Okay. Uh -huh. And whereas now it's a lot more technical around swimwear and fit and yeah. and our current factory is just great in terms of sustainability mm. and they're really striving to do better and they've got really innovative technology being brought into them and i just feel like they really align yeah with our values on yeah. every sense like they, they're like zero waste like they don't they won't work with any brand unless they're sustainable oh, and brilliant. they're always coming up with ideas of how to do things better yeah so i think for us it's really it's really crucial that we have a business like a factory that we can work with that has the same ethos because 
typically like the fashion industry and factories it's really wasteful there's a huge amount of waste just in like the sampling process huge amount of single-use plastic and hangers whereas now we're able to that was a bit of a fight with the first factory to be like can we make sure it's not wrapped in this can we make sure it's not done like this and they were a bit like but why everyone else does we're like yeah but that's kind of not the point of our business well they're trying to charge you more money to do things yeah, more oh, that's, sustainably yeah we're not and... going to wrap it in that so we'll charge you like five pound extra wrap Nuh-uh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas now it's more helpful and and so w- when you first started off did you get stock or do you do you invest in getting like loads of inventory and then try and set it up that way or like what, what was the the process so we bought a lot of stock we took a complete guess at how many of which size and which color to get, didn't we? Like, look your finger, stick it in the air, here we go. So ordered a selection of each each style in different sizes. And then we put them all on the living room in Natalie's house. My house and was like, the fulfillment center. <laughs> we did counting, we did quality check on the living room floor. We sat on the sofa and we launched that evening on the laptop and like sat there watching the orders come through and then desperately tried to pack, print and ship. From your living room floor. Because that's hard. I, again, another thing that we were really, yeah, we thought, I oh, will build a business, we'll do all this. And then it was like the week before, we were like, we have to pack these things and send them out. And like, how are we going to do that? And how are we going to, like, I, we were handwriting people's addresses on, like, handwriting the labels. Notes and and handwriting oh, the notes. Like, I remember Zana sitting there handwriting the notes, which went in these orders. And she was like, my hand is literally going to fall off. And my whole, and at this point, I had a flatmate. And it was like up to the ceiling worth of like stock. And I remember her like just being like, is this going to be a long-term thing? Like, <laughs> what, what's the deal here? And then we moved, because it basically took over our whole flats. And then we moved it to my parents' house. And my mum and my sister were our packers and they took it to like the post office and they did everything. And then it got to a point, the business grew to a point where my sister basically sent me a message and said, I can no longer do this. Like I need a life. Really? This needs to this needs to go. But so we managed to do it within the family. But oh my gosh, it's really difficult packing stuff. It was really stressful as well because it's so much pressure because you you're packing it and then you're thinking, wait a minute, did I write the right address on that? Oh, I don't know. Like if I send that out wrong, and it was just oh, and it was just like hours and hours each day of just packing orders. So that's the bit which you just kind of don't really realise. But now we have a nice fulfillment center. Yes, we do. We have, we have other people who, who do that. And I'm so, so grateful because I'm like, it's such a hard part of the business. So, so I'm guessing the, res- the response was, was good. Like, did you, you sell all your inventory or? Yeah, yeah, we sold out in a few weeks, I think. And it was complete guesswork. And I feel so lucky that people, because obviously we were a new business. And I think that takes a lot of trust from customers to go, I'm going to invest in this new business. These two girls have no idea what they're doing. And they've talked openly about that. So this product could be a pile of rubbish, yeah. you know, but actually they they trusted us, thank goodness. And yeah, sales are really good. And, it was, and that was interesting because then we were able to go, oh, that was interesting because these sizes sold the most or this color sold more than the other one. And then from there, I feel like it was almost like our first, I say our first year, it was like a testing year just audience yeah. feedback, get, like understanding what our audience wanted, what their feedback was to the styles, being able to improve on fit, being able to improve on and shape. And definitely like with sizing and inventory, that was a huge learning curve, realizing our audience, what sizes do they typically order? How many of each size do we need to be making? And just, because in the beginning, as I said, you're you're just guessing how many of, of size 10, how many of size 18 do I order? Whereas now we kind of know our audience, we know the sort of women that buy our swimwear and we know how many to order of each size, et cetera. So, but that was all a massive learning curve and a learning curve that we, we did in public. We did it like on social media. We documented the whole journey and it definitely felt, 
I think it felt nerve wracking to, to launch this business when we were so new to it and to have this platform where if people didn't like their pieces, they could share it online, they could tag us, other people could see it. It definitely, yeah, it was a scary time. Pressure. We were like nervous wrecks. Yeah. The week of launch, I don't think I slept a wink. I think I was I was so nervous. And we were just like sat on the sofa about to press live. Like, should we do it? Oh, <laughs> counting down, like like actually nervous wrecks. Mm. And we were probably so excited up to the launch. And then by the end of the week, we're just like bags, like packing all these orders. Like, what have we done? Wow. Wow. And and since then, so you had a successful first launch and and, and then you know, how, how did you iterate? I mean, you were talking about the audience feedback and, 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 you know, a little bit more considered with when it comes to sizing, but how have you elevated the brand there thereafter with the designs and everything else? I'd say moving factory was a key thing. We should probably mention here because when we moved factory to one that was more swimwear focused, well, the quality just was absolutely unrivaled. So that was definitely a huge, um, a huge change. And then also, as Nat said, our first designs were very simple. They were block colors, simple, clean shapes. And we had to try and decide how are we gonna stand out? And we realized that paneling was something that we wanted to bring into the brand and have that as kind of a defining feature of the brand. Um, so I think that was something which when we brought it in, sort of completely changed everything. And people loved it, having these flattering, sort of double-lined, strong, flat, um, I say flattering again, but they are very flattering. <laughs> I did design them. Um, <laughs> flattering double-paneled bikinis and swimsuits that, that really do the job and are functional. I think, yeah, the paneling was the game changer. Mm, to add to that, I think when we launched, we launched, we launched really quickly. Like we came, we kind of came together, had the idea, it almost snowballed. We launched and then we were able to sit back and go, okay, Right, we've launched stuff. We know people want to buy it. Where do we want our business to go? And I think actually one thing that really changed kind of the way we looked at things is Selfridges contacted us before we'd launched and said- that Before we, you launched? Yeah, so they contacted, they found us on Instagram and we got this email, which I thought was a hoax. I literally remember messaging Zana being like, read, like, read the email in the inbox. Like, I don't think it's a legit email, but Selfridges want a meeting. So they basically run a program called Bright New Things which is um, supporting sustainable young designers. And they were like, we'd love to have a conversation. We were like, we haven't got any products yet. Are, are they sure? So we went in and it was all confirmed before we even launched that we were gonna be the Selfridges Bright New Thing swimmer brand, which is amazing. And then we went around Selfridges shop floor. And I just remember being like, how are we gonna stand out? We've got two really simple designs. How are we gonna become like you, that you recognize our pieces. And I think, although we would have got there, I think that added pressure of knowing that we had to stand next to some of the biggest swimwear brands you've heard of and brands which have been around for years and has such a strong identity. It almost made us go, okay, let's, look, we almost fast-tracked us to getting to our kind of branding, like point that we are now. Cause we thought, I think that added pressure of knowing that you're gonna be on like in the biggest, like one of the most biggest luxury department stores. And we thought, our pieces have to be so good and have to stand out. So we were, so we went like to the drawing board. We thought, what's the feedback? What do we want our brand to be? And that's when we started coming up with the ideas for like the paneling that we added, the zip. We wanted, to, we always knew we wanted to be sports luxe, but I think that kind of got us to that point. So probably having that <laughs> added pressure, and it was a really short turnaround as well. They're like, "Wait, well, some bright new things," and we want to launch uh, in this month. We were like, "That's like six months away." 
and we haven't got designs and like but with your new collection and we were just like oh my gosh so that was a bit of a like scrabble it all together but actually we were able I think it really made us push ourselves further than we ever would have we probably would have been a slightly slower pace but then we were able to launch and be like look at these pieces I was so proud of those so we launched with two and then six months later we launched with our like proper collection like our full I would say yeah it's like our first proper collection and then that was what was in Selfridges so it was like a it was basically we had like fast forward button put on us to be like right you have a whole collection to launch come on <laughs> in Selfridges <laughs> keep up <laughs> and me and Sandra were there like paddling underwater like oh my gosh <laughs> were you doing that all yourselves I mean you both come from creative design backgrounds yeah. with the design element or did you did you have to enlist help from other people or were you literally just doing this all off your own back yeah, we did the design. We actually came up with the designs and like colors and shapes ourselves, but then we had to enlist help to do all of the digital drawings because that's like on a whole other program which people like study to learn. Yeah. So we were like, we can't, we can't do this. So yeah, we luckily found someone who was really amazing, gave us like really good advice and had a background in swimwear. And um, so we came up with the designs. We're like, this is what we want them to look. And he was able to translate that into a digital drawing and actually bring it to life which was really great yeah because I, I, I think that that's like a year's worth of like learning how to use that software yeah, <laughs> which we yeah. just didn't have time to do <laughs> yeah yeah well it's nice that you you know you, you recognize where you you have not weaknesses but you know you, you have elements of your the entire package that need a bit of help and you can almost like jigsaw it together I wanted to ask about um British Vogue and uh, the um, British uh, Fashion Week as well and, and how those kind of came about because there've been a number of steps on your journey that I know about, like, you know, the feature by Instagram as, you know, female entrepreneurs, et cetera. Um, how, how did those things come about and how have they affected you? I mean, they've, they've affected us in a very positive way. <laughs> We've had a great time. Um, so we were contacted by the British Fashion Council about coming to London Fashion Week and we were both shook because mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just such a new small brand and to think that we would be invited to come and take part in such a prestigious fashion event was absolutely to be frank mind-blowing to us so we rocked up we <laughs> we were told that we would be given this like tiny tiny area with like one rail and a little bit of space next to it so it's an, it's an exhibition space right so we're given this one rail and a tiny space then a few days before they kind of upgraded us to a really big space that we would have to fill. And we didn't know how to fill this space. So we were like, what do we do? We've never been to a fashion exhibition. We now have this massive space and we have nothing to fill it with. So we, we blagged that as well, didn't we, Nat? Yeah, most of it was my furniture from my flat. Yeah, it was just like <laughs> taking so many random bits. I remember when we turned up, just looking around at everyone else's ex- exhibition space and being like, oh my goodness, we're so amateur. Like people had like set designers because it was, yeah. a, it was a legit people thing. People had things drilled into the ceiling yeah. and like hanging Just from they, the ceiling. They emailed us the day before being like, do you have any set designers coming? Like, do you need to make any kind of actual like, like builders, like physical things like going into the wall? And we were like, 
oh, we just we just had a rail. <laughs> and then it was like last minute trip to like, I think I went and got a plant. We went, went to that studio we used for a photo shoot and asked oh if gosh, we could borrow yeah. some of their furniture. <laughs> like begged them last minute, like, can we come pick up some like furniture? Because they had some really beautiful pieces. Managed to, to be fair, our space looked really nice. I was I pretty sure for that. Yeah, we've managed to pull together this. And people were like, oh, I love your space. And we were literally like, oh my God, we actually blagged this. Like, I don't know how we managed to <laughs> just like stuck some things on the wall. And we're like, yeah. Yes, that's my space. But that was incredible because we hadn't even been going that. I think it was less than a year, maybe. Less than a year. Oh, wow. And we were obviously able to meet uh, every press, every like, um, like basically everyone in fashion. Anna Wintour. Yeah, and then like I, what was really incredible. We were the only swimmer brand there, so we were having like, lots of kind of big names. And obviously, me and Zana have no background in fashion, so people be like, "Oh my gosh, did you know who that were?" We were like, "No." No. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because when you told me about Anna, when- no. I- to be fair, we didn't know. Yeah. We, we did. Yeah. 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 We yeah. did. Yeah. Devil Wears yeah. Prada. I remember telling my, I think it was my sister, and she was like, "Do you not know? How do you not know who this person is?" Like? That was the that was the one magazines. person I remember. She walked around the corner. She comes with a crowd. Like so, like, she literally the whole place goes silent wherever she walks. She came around the corner, and there was just a wall of people taking the photos, her. and it went silent in the room. She came around the corner. I was chatting to someone. I turned around, and Zana was there. Like, like trying pointing at me being like come talk to her so we went over and we were like chatting and she was so lovely but uh, we were both just a bit like starstruck a bit like oh my gosh asking all about the pieces she complimented the fabric yeah like the paneling and the story and stuff and then when she went it was like this lull and we both looked at each other i was like oh my my god God, that That was definitely a career highlight because that was that she only visited one brand in the whole exhibition. Wow. And um, I don't know why she chose to come to us, but we were really obviously like absolutely mind blown and so thankful that she did. And then yeah. since since then, I think a lot of that has, we've had a bit of a snowball effect. We've been featuring a lot of Vogue. Like Vogue have been really supportive and had a lot of features there. And I remember when we launched, before we launched, we was, there was a few things which I was like, if we ever get into Vogue, I'm literally going to retire. Like, that's it. That's my career goal done. And then we got like features. In, and then it, they just kept coming. I think yeah. we've been in nearly every Vogue. In the past month, I think we've been in four. Yeah. Wow. And then it was just like, they just, uh, yeah, that was mind blowing. And it doesn't ever get less exciting. Like we've been running no. this business for two years. Every feature, I'm like, I need a copy. I need to frame it. I'm bringing my mom like, mom, I'm in Vogue. Like, it's so excited. But I think even like a real highlight for me at London Fashion Week was when the chairman of the British Fashion Council came over and she bought some pieces. Mm. And because she said that she really liked them and she physically bought some. And I was like, if you are the chairman of the British Fashion Council and you're saying that you like our pieces, I feel like that's... Yeah. a seal of approval yeah, it's like and like that's like a, a pat on the back because mm. we do we do have imposter syndrome we do feel like why are we here everybody else has this background in fashion and then when she comes up and buys a piece and says that she loves it and you're like must be doing something right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. to get people <laughs> within the fashion industry complimenting your designs and then being like where did you guys study and we're like well we did we did it uh <laughs> nowhere kind of made it up. <laughs> so that yeah that was amazing because you just you just yeah like you say you look at your pieces and you think we like them but i don't know if anyone else will you know and then actually to get people within the fashion industry and that's where we found we got in contact with well the instagram team got in contact with us because they saw us at fashion week and then, because they had like a pop-up space in the fashion exhibition. And then I think they must have seen the pieces. We got invited along to meet the head of fashion. Um, and then it kind of, we built a relationship with them and they were really supportive. And then they they remember they sent us an email just being like, 
I got a separate email from one of the girls being like, the most exciting email has dropped in your inbox. Like prepare yourself and read it. And we were just like, because oh. they basically then they were doing a um, founders focus on, was it six brands around the world? Across the world. And we were the UK brand and they did like a whole feature on our story. And they were like, we're, so we're going to have a team fly to shoot you. From San Francisco. Yeah. And we were just like, what is going on? So yeah, it's definitely been a lot of highlights and that, that for sure was one because like they have the biggest page in the whole world. And we were yeah. just like, what is happening? That's insane. <laughs> that is yeah. insane. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't believe it, to be honest. Every time I think about it, I'm like, what? How did, Wait, what? Happened? Like literally when we say these things, I'm just like, what has gone on the past yeah. few years? It's been a wild ride. It really has. <laughs> so as you both know, this is a health and wellness podcast. Um, you know, what I try and do is inspire the listeners into how they can take care of themselves, how they can eat well, but also live well. And I think your story paints this beautiful picture of how you came up with this idea. You're very naive to use your own terminology. And, you know, it, it's been, it appears to be success after success. In reality, stresses, you know, there's, there's grind, there's financial insecurity, a whole bunch of other things. What I really want to nail down into is how, how are you coping and how have you coped over that two year period? It's been a very short time in, you know, as far as businesses go, but what, are the, what, what have the, been the biggest pain points and how have you developed a thicker skin to, to get, get through those? How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you need. Okay, so. <laughs> um, well, it's definitely been an interesting journey. I think when we first started, we had no idea kind of the stresses of running a business. Well, I had no idea the stresses of running a business. And I think because you're so emotionally invested, it's your business, it's your baby, it's your thing you're putting out in the world. Actually, the emotional stress that goes with that, because you just want it to succeed, you want people to like it. And I think I never, I, I never realized how stressful that is every part of you wants this business to do well so when like when we launched I I literally I literally didn't sleep I was so nervous and you're just so scared of it not going well and yeah for the first year definitely I let I let my health slip I like basically lived off coffee didn't sleep that well Um, and I think a lot of business owners and then that's what happens they burn out because they don't they're not looking after themselves they're working and I've had so many conversations with people who run businesses and it's like you have to recognize that and then be like actually no I need to look after myself so the first year we definitely had a lot because it was so exciting and it was so fast-paced and you're working in this absolute whirlwind that your business becomes the number one and then you're like number two you know Um, and I think the second year have definitely been a lot more conscious to be like make sure you're getting enough sleep even stuff like the first year I used to have all my I used to check the emails all the time so now I don't have any notifications on I won't look at it from a certain time I have my phone on airplane mode in the evening to the mornings there's certain things which I've just had to, it's almost like I've had this intervention with myself to be like you have to like put these things in place to look after yourself make sure you're not drinking over a certain amount of coffee a day make sure you're getting enough vegetables in make sure you're drinking enough water like the world's not going to end if you don't check your emails in the evenings you know because otherwise you can just become consumed by your business and then before you know it your health has suffered you're really stressed you can end up like suffering with anxiety and all the things that come with that really high stress lifestyle and then you hear people who end up being like I can't do this anymore walking away from their business because they 
have almost like imploded. And I think I recognized that in myself in the first year, I really recognize like you can't keep going at this pace because otherwise something's going to give and it'll probably be you. And obviously the business is not going to go anywhere. Like our, what we're aiming is to have a business that's a long-term business and a long-term it's here. It's going to hopefully be successful for many years to come. So it was like, I had to, yeah, like <laughs> intervene with myself and be like, wait, these are things you're going to put into place to make sure you're exercising because that makes you feel good making sure you're getting outside like I've got a dog and obviously I've always wanted a dog but I was like be able to go outside and take him on a walk twice a day out in the like parks and stuff that's really really crucial so I've had to definitely be quite conscious with myself and I think it's easy to fall down the rabbit hole of just like work 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 um so I'm, I mean I'm not gonna lie I sometimes I'll have weeks when yeah. my balance slightly goes <laughs> yeah. and then I text Hannah like I'm having a meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's been two things which I think we've done, which has really helped the business. Number one is offloading to each other. And number two is delegating. So the 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 great thing about having a business partner is not just bouncing creative ideas off each other and bringing two different perspectives to the table, but also having a support system. Like Nat texted me a few days ago saying, I'm really overwhelmed with this certain thing. I don't think we're going to be able to do it in time. And I said to her, nobody's put this deadline on us except us. So nobody else knows about this deadline so we can push it back by a few days if we want to. And it's just having each other to say, to like say to me, like Zana, do you think we can push this back? Should we do it like this? How do you feel about that? And vice versa, being able to talk to each other, I think is is key because you can get trapped up in your own head about the business and the choices and am I doing the right thing? And the second thing has definitely been delegating. Like in the beginning, it was just us. And then as we've grown, we've had the capacity to be able to delegate things to more people, which I think has definitely helped because I think customer service, which Nat handled for a long time, which is savage. Um, As soon as that was taken off Nat's plate, I could see a visible difference in you as a human being. (laughs) So we got a customer service girl and that was like changed our lives, especially Nat's life. So it's been, being able to delegate has definitely been a massive part of our business and being able to, as you said, we, we know our weaknesses, we know our strengths and being able to actually put some more time into our strengths and find people to help support us on our weaknesses in the business has definitely been vital to our wellness. Mm, yeah, we're so lucky to be able to do that as well. I, I find the partnership thing particularly interesting. Um, one of the um, one of the traits of uh, YCY Combinator in San Francisco, they're a tech accelerator, is that they they try and encourage people to pair up. And I, and I wonder it's whether it's because you know you have uh, co-founders who can offload to each other, who can share responsibility and then delegate, and then also keep the other person in check. I wonder if there was ever a point where perhaps not between you guys, but anyone else in your extended family or you know, close friends, um, that actually had to say to you, you know, you're working too hard. There's too many boxes in my house. <laughs> um, the, or there's, you know, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not sleeping well. You know, you're, this is all encompassing as businesses can be. I mean, my boyfriend, Ant, bless him, has sat me down on multiple occasions and said, and not just about stay wild, about work in general and just been like, is it worth it? Because like, I'll be a wreck. I'll be crying. Nat knows I love a cry. I love a cry. So I'll be having like a little meltdown. I'll be crying and Ant will just say to me, is it worth it? And that question always makes me realize, yes, it is. Like, of course it is. I love this and I love stay wild. I love my other work, but it's, yeah. And often has to kind of ground me and like check in with me like this this work is for a reason and if it's not worth it I have to ask myself why but so far everything that we've done has been 100% worth the stress and toil that we've been through yeah I think it's a really good question to ask yourself you know is it worth it and whether you actually 
and being honest here, you know, whether if it wasn't worth it, you'd have the confidence to actually walk away and and say, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm not allowed to do this. I don't know. It's... I think it's really hard. I think I was speaking to someone who ran a business and then sold their business and decided to walk away. And he was like, it's the hardest thing I ever did because it's a pride thing. Like you've spent this time. And he said that lots of people, you almost become your business. And I think that's an issue is like, sometimes you become your business so much that there's that blurred line of your identity and your business identity because you you put so much into it and then you become that business in a sense and he was saying it's hit for him and I really recognized I was like that's really interesting and that's kind of it always makes me think make sure that you know you have enough time apart for, and you're not just working because he was just like I found that I didn't have an identity without my business like once I lost it so it is something that you have to really check in with yourself and ask the question, is it worth it? But then it's also asking the question, like obviously we're not planning on going anywhere, but is there anything that you could get help on? Is there anything that you could delegate? Is there any way that, like, could you push that launch back a little bit? And like, that's not really not going to affect it, but it might help your workload. Yeah, I, yeah my boyfriend's done a lot of that, being like, <laughs> putting me aside, being like, you know, you, why don't you just calm it down or why don't you take a week off like put a week off in yeah nobody's it's not going to go anywhere because yeah. or... I, I told Nat I was taking a week off because I've been online like the whole of 2020 and I was like I'm just gonna have a week off and I said you need to have a week off and you were like please <laughs> so you so both just took a week off at the same time it was the best week ever but we both hadn't had that time I didn't had a week offline in almost two years so it was just the most incredible refreshing period of like that I needed and I think being online especially when your business is online like my Zana van Dyke side of stuff is online stay wild swim is online everything is online taking that time to step back disconnect and just kind of live life um without being trapped in your phone and in your emails and everybody knowing like there's a general consensus I'm offline this week yeah. you will not hear from me um that is the most amazing feeling and I hadn't done that in far too long and now I'm kind of vowing to myself after that period and also watching the social dilemma yeah. I am now saying to myself I want to have like even just one day off a month where I'm completely offline ideally two um just where I'm completely offline and I'm not doing anything on my phone anything on email anything on a laptop just to be truly present would be amazing so I'm hoping I could do that going going forward. I'm not saying I'm hoping. I will do that. Yeah. Going yeah. forward. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you accountable. I'll, I'll <laughs> message you the night before. You better not be online tomorrow. I'll be watching. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's two things that you guys have said. One thing that really resonates with me is the notifications. So I, I definitely have those off. And I don't check my phone for the first couple of hours um, of my waking day. So I'm not just automatically immersed in you know whatever it is whether it be whatsapp or emails and that kind of stuff um emails i'm addicted to out of everything I've, I've managed to cut down on facebook and instagram and all the other social media sites but email is particularly addictive and after watching the social dilemma i realized you know there's functionality there that actually wants you to stay on email so the notifications for email are off and i think also having uh, a period of time where you completely disconnect for a week at a time is amazing it's almost like a luxury but I wonder, you know, given the financial stresses, the stresses of being customer service and, you know, even having a personal brand online, you, it's like doing customer service. You've got to reply to comments. You've got to, you know, reply to DMs and, you know, ignore trolls and all that kind of stuff. How do you deal with the day-to-day? -day? What are your stress um, coping mechanisms 
on a day-to-day given that you're running so many different things and a business that is growing? Exercise. For me, like fitness, many years ago, fitness was like a, it was a, it was a job and it was a bit of an obsession. I think often when you first get into fitness, you kind of just get hooked. Um, Whereas for me, fitness now is a release. And I sometimes, because my schedule, have to do it first thing in the morning, but my favorite thing is doing it like finding time in the afternoon or the evening to kind of relieve the stress of the day. Like that just feels amazing because I've usually built up quite a lot <laughs> by about 4 or 5 p.m. And if I can then go and train and, and you, I can't check my phone because usually my phone is some part of the workout, whether it's a timer or I'm playing some sort of fitness app. So doing exercise for 40 minutes, time for me, time with no distractions, time where you sweat and you push your body and you're doing something which is completely unrelated to work. I love and love it. And I desperately try and do it every day, but not necessarily intense every day, even just like a 20 minute walk or something where I'm moving my body and I'm not attached to technology. That's the dream. (laughs) I would say the same, definitely some kind of movement. Um, but one thing that's actually really changed the game for me, and I was on a panel and this girl said, I put my phone in airplane mode in the evenings and I don't take it off until an hour after I've woken up. And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. And I've started doing that. And it's probably been maybe the last year. And honestly, it just changes my mornings. Like being able to wake up and not have any notifications, not check my phone. Like some days, if I, oh, I know if we've got a launch, I'll look at it. But I just noticed the difference of that. Like as soon as you wake up before, just being bombarded with millions of things and then immediately being like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. I've got to do this, add this to my to-do list. Actually having that slightly more peaceful start to the day, it just helps so much. And it makes you realize you don't need you don't need to check your phone straight away. Actually having that moment of peace and being able to, like I just make a cup of tea and I put some skincare on and I like ease myself into the day. And I think that really helps. Having a dog helps, like that helps just. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, you're just gonna go and cuddle them and you're not gonna be yeah. sending your emails when you're cuddling your dog. No. Yeah. So yeah, movement, dog. <laughs> I'm gonna throw in there the notifications for me as well. Yeah, because I remember, so I was talking to Dr. Chatterjee a couple of years ago and we were recording a podcast with him, my own podcast. And he in the podcast had said about notifications and I came out of the studio and I took my airplane mode off my phone and it just went, the whole phone just went off and I literally felt cortisol rush through my veins. And I was like, this is the turning point. The notifications are off. And it, it started off with just having email off and just having WhatsApp off. And now it's like, everything is off. The only thing that's on is phone calls. If you want me and it's urgent enough, you will call me. And the other thing is I was quite poorly last year. And I definitely realized when I was poorly that like the world can wait. So it's even just little things. So like it might get to 8 p.m., and I'll look at my inbox and I've, I finished my emails at 6.30, but still 10 more have come back. And I'm like, why are you emailing me at this time? And it's so easy for me to get sucked back in just to try and tick them off before the end of the night. And then I check in with myself and I'm like, the world can wait. Like they, they shouldn't be expecting a reply from me at 8.30 at night. And if they are, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give that to you. So I think it's just kind of knowing that the, the pressure that I put on myself to do everything so fast and immediately and tick off everything on my to-do list today is only the pressure that I put on myself. And I try and like, even when I look at my to-do list for the day, I try and categorize it into what has to be done today and what I'd like to do today. Because if my list is so long and I'm telling myself I have to do everything on that list, then the feeling of overwhelm kind of floods through you. So I'm trying to release the expectation and allow myself to sometimes just not get every single thing done, which I would have never have done like a couple of years ago. So that's definitely a big change for me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I, I wonder if you mind if we double click on that actually, because I know obviously you had a, a, a big event that happened to you yes. in the middle of nowhere. Um, for, the, for the listeners who don't know, I'm sure you, you explain it. But I, I wonder what impact that had on your thought process with specific regard to your own health and well-being, your mental well-being and, and, and the business as well and how that fits into it. Yeah, I think it was definitely a, a changing point for me. So, and a turning point. So I was in the Maldives, January 2019, and my bowel twisted out of nowhere. This is a very long story, condensed very short. Um, but I ended up just having emergency surgery. They cut me open from above my belly button to just above my pubic bone. It's quite a big incision, four-hour operation, emergency surgery, and then I spent a few months recovering. And... Um, You've just completely shifted my mindset. Like, number one, everyone around me was so compassionate and I was just like, God, humans are great. Like, <laughs> number two, I couldn't exercise properly for over three months. And I was somebody who had been a personal trainer, who had been like very into fitness. So I think like having that forced rest and reset kind of shifted my perception of exercise. I used to see exercise as something that I did because... I was a trainer and I was into fitness and exercise then became something which was for recovery, to get stronger, to feel good for the mental benefits of it. Like I used to be able to only really walk um, for quite a while. So for me, walking was my new exercise and getting outside and being in nature. And yeah, exercise changed from just being burpees and sweating and lifting a hundred kilo deadlifts to like just moving my body and enjoying moving my body. And I also started doing um, breath work as part of my recovery. So I had to do like box breathing for five minutes every day because basically if you have abdominal surgery, correct me if I'm wrong, Rupi, um, your lungs, like your capacity can reduce because of your scarring, et cetera. I don't know the reasons why, but the capacity of your lungs can reduce. So I was told to do breathing exercises every day. And I have kept that up every day since my surgery. So it's coming up to almost two years later and I still do five minutes of breath work every day, which I think has just been amazing for me so yeah it's gone from like my whole physical approach to fitness um as well as like my mental and finding breath work I used to be a meditator but now I actually find breath work is more beneficial for me so yeah it shifted quite a few things we've had a couple of people on the podcast talk about the mechanisms behind why breath work can have benefits to your mental health and your physical health as well and I'm a big proponent of breath work from a gut point of view, from a mental health point of view, I think there's so many benefits of it. And it almost has like this immediacy effect. So you immediately feel better straight afterwards. And if you're the kind of person that struggles to switch off like I am, um, breathwork just gives you a little bit more direction in what you're doing. So, you know, breathing in for four, out for four, whatever, or whatever the, the strategy is for, for breathwork. Um, and I can imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, that's had a beneficial effect on your relationship with your business, be it your personal brand and your startup as well. Yeah, I definitely think it has. And as I was saying earlier, it's releasing the expectation of, I have to do everything, I have to be everything. Like with Stay Wild, Nat was incredible. Like this was a really important time in the business and I disappeared off the face of the earth. Mm. (laughs) For like basically the first six weeks of recovery, I was just like in a hole. Um, And Nat just took everything on her shoulders and I had to release control and just be like, you smash everything, Nat, I'll just be over here in a bed. (laughs) And I think that was really good for me. I, I am a massive control freak not just with Stay Wild, but with my own business, with everything that I do. So I think I just had to completely 
release that and actually just to bring it to 2020 with covid that has also been beneficial for me like last year i had to release control for three months my whole life changed all my plans that i had were cancelled and we've had something similar this year where everything has been cancelled and our lives have changed for months and i feel like i had a bit of a preparatory phase in 2019 where my life was put on the back burner so yeah i'd say my approach to business now i think that period in 2019 and my health being compromised definitely helped me. I, I never wanted to go back to how crazy I was before that. And then COVID this year has also, we both say gave, it gave us a little bit of a moment of pause to think about what elements of life do we want to bring back in? What elements of life, when things slow down, do we want to pick back up? Um, which I think has been refreshing and important. Yeah. How is it for you, Nat? that period of time where your co-founder just spit on the face of the earth and you were I'm sorry about that. tasked with the <laughs> business. And... Well, for me, it was just important that Zana had her time to recover and that she was going to recover and she knew that I was just going to be able to, like, I didn't want her to feel any guilt. And obviously it was such a... And I never did, so thank you for that. Yeah, and it was just one of those times where it was like, the, actually the least important thing was the business. The most important thing was Zana's health and her being able to recover. And for me, it was there was it was just a no-brainer I was just like it's cool you take your time like obviously we're here I'm here for you and I remember like going around with like donuts and like taking chocolate and over samples. yeah <laughs> and then come over and be like I also have some swimwear samples and like obviously as a co-founder and that's the joys of having a co-founder it's like you are all like Zana's also my friend and she's also someone who I've known for so many years and our health and knowing that we have each other's back is that's the most important thing and like being able to, and for the business it was just like well of course I'll I'll just, I'll run it. You don't have to worry about it. Like we both trust each other's judgment. We both trust each other's decision-making. She knew like that I would be able to do it and she'd be able to trust my decisions. And it's all, it was just like, I'm going to make a success of it and it, we're going to smash it. Don't worry about it. You'll come back. Everything will be good. And yeah, the most important thing was Zana being able to recover and know that she didn't have to worry about Stay Wild. Like, Stay Wild was going to be fine. Yeah. I really know? appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> It's an amazing time right now um, because there's so much uncertainty which you've experienced prior to lockdown and everything. Um, and, I, and I wonder, there's a lot of people who have perhaps uh, been made redundant or an extended furlough. Um, and, and it looks likely that we're going to dip into a recession. But it, but it seems that to mirror what happened in 2009 and in the 80s as well, it's also a time for opportunity. So there may be some people, perhaps not everyone, particularly those who have got so many responsibilities to, to juggle, but uh, this could be a time where people start thinking about starting their own business and starting you know, to take control of their future, whether it be starting something themselves or getting involved in something. And I wonder if you guys had any tips for people um, who are thinking about starting their own, whether it be in fashion or food or education or whatever industry that they're most uh, familiar with or passionate about i'd just say just start because i think for like for so many people you have that idea you have that passion you have that thing you want to do but you're so afraid to take that first step and for us as soon as we took that first step i mean that had already had the pdf but as soon as we made that google drive and that spreadsheet that was when the snowball started because we'd just put the pen to paper. We'd just taken that first step. So I think stop holding yourself back um, and just start and don't be afraid to get it wrong. Like, I think there's definitely things we've done along the way where we look back and we're like, 
definitely could have done that better. But at the time, that was all part of the journey and we've grown and we've learned from it. So don't be afraid to make mistakes um, and watch your cash flow. But <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a good one. That's yeah, watch, good one. watch your cash flow. Um, <laughs> I think one thing we got a bit of advice before we launched the business was whatever you launch at first is not going to be perfect. You know, you're never going to have the perfect business, the perfect product, the perfect idea. But if you have enough kind of passion behind what you're doing, your kind of product and your idea will catch up, you know? So for us, you can get stuck in a hole of trying to make everything, every single element of your business perfect. And and I hear, you hear a lot of it of people saying, I've wanted to launch this business for three, four years, but it's not quite right. And I've been working on it. And then they feel like they've almost lost the opportunity. And I think, like you said, a lot, I know a lot of people who are coming brainstorming new ideas and using this time, maybe they're on furlough, they have a bit more time and they actually, they're going, okay, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to launch this business and I'm going to do it this time. But I think it's that whole, don't let yourself hold your ideas back. It's not going, going to be perfect. Like we put out a business, which was far from perfect, but we were able to learn, adapt, listen to our audience. And I think that was such a crucial bit of advice because we wouldn't have launched for another year. And then by that point that when we launched, we, it was such the right time for us to launch a business. Like David Attenborough just done his speech about ocean plastics. It was like the perfect time we saw that David Attenborough do his talk. And I was like, we have to launch. Like it's not going to be ready, but actually that's fine. Like that's the joys of a business these days is you can evolve and you can kind of learn these things and it it kind of gets better as you go. So yeah, definitely don't wait until it's perfect. Learn on the go, Google everything. I think everyone's like, how do you find this? I'm like, Google Google. it. Like, how did you find that? (laughs) We Googled it. How do you do this? Google it. Like we literally built our business on just Googling how to do this. What does this word mean? How do you do this? Like, I think we even probably did how to launch a swimwear business. I literally Googled that. (laughs) No word of a lie. I Googled like how to launch a swimwear business checklist. (laughs) I love a checklist. (laughs) Thanks to Google. Like we wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for just being able to Google every single thing <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> honestly I resonate with that so much because I'm, I'm in the midst of building so I suppose like even the doctor's kitchen um, it took me four years to actually muster the confidence to actually press launch because I had the idea back in 2011 I was going to do these videos and all this kind of stuff um, and even now I'm going through this process okay I'm launching a, a, a new business at the same time this application that does your shopping and matches your um, recipes to nutrition goals and delivers your shopping and everything so even that has been like a two-year process because I've been fearful of the response and it not being 100% perfect but I think the way you guys have described your journey is empowering for a lot of people hopefully listening to this as well um, I wonder if you could share some of your top um, books, podcasts, inspirations when it comes to startup or things that perhaps have helped you along your, along your way. Ooh, do you know Holly Tucker's podcast? Yes. Oh, what is it called? Do you uh, know what it's called? I can't remember what it's called. Something but... of inspiration. Ah, uh, uh, conversations of inspiration. Something like that. <clears throat> is conversations that it? of yeah, yeah. So Holly Tucker is the founder of Not on the High Street, and she has a podcast focused on small businesses. I mean, she does interview some larger businesses as well, but she really is a champion of small businesses, and her podcast is all about highlighting them and what they've done to get where they are. And I just think she has a lovely, friendly approach to everything and also 
so she asks nitty gritty questions mm. she asks questions like how did you get funding mm. how did you do this how did you do that and you're like that's what i want to know yeah. <laughs> so yeah i do really like that podcast definitely <laughs> i would say yeah i've definitely listened to a lot of those i think we sent like each other those podcast episodes listen to this, this one yeah. it in their front room as well yeah. <laughs> um i think another favorite of mine um is how i built this by guy raz um that is such a great podcast and there's so many episodes on there which i've listened to and i've been like that's such a valuable valuable bit of advice or hearing this brand which you thought was i don't know i have visions in my head of a brand and then you'd hear them talk through the struggles of the first few years and how they made some really crucial decisions or how they built their business and i found i found it really really reassuring because you think that all these businesses and i'm sure people look at stay wild and think oh they've had like this great journey and it looks really amazing on their instagram and stuff like that but actually behind the scenes it has been really hard and really hard work and i think that's the same for listening to both of those podcasts is you hear these brands which you just have in your head as these amazingly successful brands and they're like it was the hardest thing I nearly quit three times I sent everything out for my front room I made loads of mistakes I did this and you're just like okay I'm not the only one (laughs) (laughs) so yeah both of those two are gold dust I would say and the world to do podcast as well well to do well is it well to do london oh yes yeah of course lauren yeah. arms yeah absolutely yeah, i think yeah. her podcast is great she has some really good ones i mean it's focused on wellness um but you can apply a lot of the stuff that she's spoken about to fashion i yes. found so i've listened to a lot of her episodes yeah those are like two of my favorite podcasts <laughs> and i think this is really helpful because uh you know putting a perspective on the health and wellness and how you're coping with the stresses you know for people regardless of whether they're starting their own business or whether they're just trying to get through life right now, I think those are super helpful. Um, so I just want to end with what the vision is going forward. Like if you if you even have started on that vision board or whether it's something you're still putting into construction. We always just say two words, world domination. <laughs> <laughs> just simple. <laughs> that is genuinely what we always say. We're like, what? Well, there'll be a crisis. Well, what's about it? And I'm like, don't worry, it's going to be world domination soon. <laughs> How we end most of our messages, like, don't worry, I'm going to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes we just have to say it to each other to like be like, it's okay, it's okay, we'll take over the world, promise. <laughs> we, we do have some like big projects coming um, because we have realized that swimwear is a seasonal item. So we have a solution to that. And we are exploring that. Uh, we're not going to say what it is just yet. But yeah, we are making a bit of a pivot and launching a new branch of the brand. And it's really, really, really exciting. And it's completely out of comfort zone. You know, we just don't like to be in our comfort zone, yeah. do we now? Yeah. So we're going to launch something completely new. So <laughs> why not? <laughs> Watch this space. Watch this space indeed. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed that wonderful story and the podcast and everything that we discussed. I I think there were just so many useful bits. I want to round up some of the key hacks and coping strategies that I think are going to be useful for most people. Ones that I find particularly useful personally are turning off notifications and airplane mode activity uh, in the evenings and the mornings. Uh, I, I have a wake Uh, water meditate mantra in the mornings where I don't engage in my phone or emails or social media whatever that is and I find that particularly an absolute game changer just giving yourself the space to really look inwardly and interceptively I think it's very very important 
being able to offload to someone, whether it be a close friend, a family member, in a in a, a measured manner, I think is uh, absolutely game changing. It's great to uh, to see founders as co-founders because it naturally has to be that way. You have to be comfortable with someone to be able to offload in that way. But you know, it could be a partner, it could be a, a friend, whoever you trust implicitly. I think it's it's very good to offload and to, to talk about struggles, whatever they may be. I think also uh, one of the things that I've made habitual ever since my condition back in 2009 is exercise. And one of the things that I think is um, really effective when I speak to patients is just promising yourself 60 seconds per day. Now, I know that it sounds pretty ineffectual um, to you know, only exercise for 60 seconds a day, but just that promise that you make to yourself that you're going to do running on the spot or star jumps or lunges or even a stretch for 60 seconds a day just giving yourself that promise means that you don't post any zero days this is something that we talked about on a habit change podcast i did earlier in the year with heather mckee um, and something that i've i've read from a book called atomic habits by james clear i think it's a fantastic read and definitely one that is on my essential reading list which i'll talk to you in, in a second about in terms of books as well Stresses, you know, I personally find meditation, but breathwork can be very, very useful. And I think if you have a busy mind, like I do, breathwork just really gives you that lovely framework by which you can concentrate on just doing something very consciously. It's um, it's certainly something that has helped me. Books-wise, apart from James Clear, Atomic Habits, I also find the 5am Club. Um, it's a, an incredible book by Robin Sharma, who's also written a number of books, including The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And I think particularly for entrepreneurs, it's a, it's a great read. And the podcast, to reiterate how I built this, one of my favorite podcasts, um, it's stories of uh, startups and, and the undulations of, of what it's like to build up a business. But I think it's uh, it's interesting to just um, hear the human stories of ups and downs. And, and hopefully that gives you a little bit of solace, whatever you're going through at the moment. But those are my top lifestyle tips. I really hope you enjoy this episode. We're going to continue with the series for the next couple of weeks. And, uh, and hopefully you can pull out some inspiration, some motivation from what we discuss. Uh, I will see you here next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.